Welcome to a Script to Screen workshop podcast. Script to Screen is a charitable organisation developing the craft and culture of storytelling for the screen in Aotearoa, New Zealand. In May 2021, Script to Screen partnered with the Aotearoa Screen Publicists Collective to present the A to Z of screen publicity wānanga. The aim of the workshop was to show the many ways screen publicists can work alongside creatives to ensure their stories are discovered and watched by their target audiences. The sessions were recorded and this is one of 10 that you can listen to. Each session has its own whakatauki befitting the theme of the discussion. Me mātou ki te whetu, i mua i te kōkiri o te haere. Before you set forth on a journey, be sure you know the stars. Welcome to Mapping Aotearoa's media landscape in 2021. This session is a kōrero about the current state of media in Aotearoa and where the screen industry fits in. The panellists are the spin-off's commercial editorial director, Simon Day, Kate Roger, entertainment editor and film reviewer at News Hub and 3, Carmen Parahi, Potiaki editor at Stuff, and Lisa Tauma, director and producer at Coconet TV and Tiki Productions. They're talking to publicist Tamar Munch, who is the company director of The Public Good. Uh, this is a media session. So you guys, um, obviously we started off with audience. Uh, we covered off the creator-publicist relationship and now we are speaking to the media. We have some lovely people to represent the media. In particular, this is a session about mapping the landscape as it currently stands. And I think... Certainly in my time as a publicist, the media has changed dramatically. I think um, <laughs> just even in the last two years, so really since April 2019, we have seen Herald Premium come into play, so Herald content being behind the paywall. We've seen the spin-off members come into play. We've seen Discovery uh, buyout three and, you know, under that banner news hub, etc. Um, and obviously Stuff's apology, which Carmen is here to talk about as well. Um, and I think that's, that's literally in the past two years. So things move fast. We also had COVID, which obviously had a massive impact on our local landscape. Um, and I think the... Um, I'll, I'll start off, I'll get Eloise to bring up this little presentation. So a couple of years ago, well, just under a couple of years ago, you don't need to read the text, just going to say that, and deliberately made it at kind of small, so you don't actually need to read what's there. But what I want you to pay attention to in particular is the colours down the right-hand side of these slides. So I'm a bit of a nerd, and uh, in about middle of 2019, I in discussion with some other fellow screen publicists, started to feel like it was getting really hard to get cut through of our local screen content on local media platforms. Um, the, it, it, it had just become quite crunchy, uh, much more so than it had been in years gone past. And part of that was uh, around consolidation and all sorts of things. There was a whole lot of reasons that played into it. But... Um, I'll use my weather presenter remote. Let me see if I can do this. So this is this first slide. Basically what I did, it's very unscientific research. I'm just going to say that. Really not. It's just me and my computer. But what I did was map the entertainment pages of four of our key online news platforms. And I... The colour code down the right-hand side, red is indicating that it's international content. Orange is indicating that it's local content but not funded content, so not New Zealand On Air or New Zealand Film Commission or Te Mangai Pāho funded. And green is New Zealand On Air Film Commission funded or Te Mangai Pāho funded content. The yellow bar on the Herald, the yellow highlights, indicate where content is sitting behind the paywall. So as you can see, um, there's a lot of red. There is not a lot of green. This is the Herald still. And the green is also the highlighted yellow section. Um, there's a whole page where there's no green at all. There's more green, all but one behind the paywall. Uh, and so it continues. That's two weeks of the Herald in July of 2019. I would have loved to have done this again before this event, but sorry, I just didn't have time. It's just quite time-consuming. 
don't know why I had time to do it then. News Hub. This is News Hub online. Kate, wow. I'm really sorry. It's really depressing. So that's a lot of red. It's um, all the Kardashians, I bet. Yeah, it's a lot of Bravo and Kardashians, yes. This is the spin-off. Uh, still quite a bit of red and orange. Orangey, orangey, orangey. So orange is, orange is local, let's just say that. But that is probably um, guessing a Merit at First Sight type situation. So it's local content that's not New Zealand only funded. It's probably big reality, which is obviously something that spin-off covers really extensively. Oh, that was stuff, sorry. We're, We're into stuff. Because you're little. Yes, you did. So this is getting into stuff. And heaps of... So stuff, actually, I think what's interesting is that there's heaps of content. Now, I'm also covering here film. It's not just TV. So just to be clear about that, this is film and TV. But this is stuff. So it's, you know, as I say, I'm just getting you to look at the colours, really. Um, but that's kind of the landscape as it was two years ago. And so, here we go. Um, <laughs> what I would like to do first is just to get each of our panellists, and I might start with you, Carmen, is to just get you to introduce yourself and tell us about your where you work and who your audience is. Oh, tēnā rā koutou katoa. Uh, ngā mihi nui ki a koutou. Uh, he mihi mahana ki a koe e astu. Uh, Moto Afinatia Kio. He mihi Nunui Yaque e Jasmine. Um, ko ia te, um, te Tawira, uh, Iti Tawira. Or, so we were at journalism school together, Jasmine and I, <coughs> or uh, not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> 2001. Sorry, Gil. Yeah, so we were actually at uh, journalism school together, so it's very good to see you today. Ko Ngātika Hanguni me ngā tihine, ngā iwi. Ko Kāman Parehi Ahau nā te Poitiaki Editao Stuff, or Puna is our um, other name as well. So uh, so my name's Kāman Parehi. I work at Stuff. I'm the Poitiaki Editor. And my role is to help our people at Stuff understand there are many voices to be heard and stories to be told in New Zealand. So that is my role, yes. Awesome. Lisa, and I know you've got a little something to play. Yes, stun them with the visuals so that you don't have to talk too much. <laughs> um, so, Malo Lovelace, for Malangi Mama, I'm Lisa, and um, I think the most relevant um, part of this talanoa I can offer is to talk about the Coconut TV, mm. um, which is our online platform um, primarily for Moana people, Moana audiences made by Moana people, thanks to the auspices of the wonderful New Zealand On Air and their diversity kaupapa, um, which has been incredible because it's opened this pathway um, that's been incredibly popular with this audience. And um, through that, the, the, the whole global connection to, to the coconut, there's been so many different pathways created as a domino effect byproduct. Um, but I just want to show some of the people who work on the coconut because um, these are all the young creative minds who are part of our team. They're very quiet. <laughs> It's okay if it doesn't play. I'm going to introduce Pianina down the back. Um, so Pianina is um, our coconut admin down the back there. Um, and we also have the wonderful Bibi Fruin, finalist New Zealander of the year, who's um, who works very proactively in the climate change space and doing lots of viral campaigning online. Um, to who yeah, And her work is very, very relevant to this um, talanoa as well. So that's part of my Coco team, our team together down there. Um, so we make content for networks on screen, and I think um, an interesting intersect with the conversation around um, media is the difference between marketing stuff through TV network um, 
pathways and the privilege we have of marketing stuff to our own audiences where um, via the coconut where our cultural audiences become our mainstream so um, those are the two kind of kind of areas that we work in and they're very very different um, so I'm just trying to think of what's really helpful to the amazing bright young faces of our publicity future sitting in front of us um, and so, so um, yeah, I, in, in the course of this Talanoa, I'll try to talk about things, you know, and intersex that may be of interest to you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Um, my name is uh, Kate Roger. Um, I'm about 113 years old uh, and I've been working in television for most of that time. Um, I'm easy to spot because I have the most makeup on in the room because uh, I have to go back and shoot my links. Um, I have been incredibly passionate about everything that you guys are passionate about for pretty much my whole life. I just didn't know I could get paid a paltry sum from TV3 to do it as a job. Uh, so lots of your Faces are familiar and some aren't, which um, as much as I love the ones I know, I'm, uh, you know, you know you're awesome. It's the up-and-comers um, that I want to embrace uh, and impart as much information as useless as it might be that I can. Uh, I'm passionate about New Zealand film. I'm actually passionate about all film uh, and getting it onto a mainstream platform such as broadcast has been my commitment for the past 18 years at TV3. Uh, those numbers were frankly effing terrifying um, from an online capacity. And where I sit in the newsroom opposite one of my nearest and dearest, Daniel Rutledge, who is our head of digital, I punch him just about every day uh, in terms of what we know is a clickable story online and what I actually want to see on our website uh, and how money comes into play because we are servicing an audience and we want them to click. Uh, and whether I'm going to compromise what I consider to be important to me to make that clickable. Uh, so I have broadcast as my main platform. I want it on primetime, which is six, which is my main focus. Uh, we have a late news, obviously love it on there. Anything I can get onto the project or talk about uh, when I'm hosting the project uh, as well. And then if I can get uh, a continuing digital support of what I do, it's important as well, both in terms of content, but also in terms of the primetime review aspect of what we have, which is a super unusual situation in a primetime news program that I still, after all of these years, have two and a half minutes devoted to me banging on about film. Uh, it's, I've, it's a blessing. I don't know how it's still in there. I just keep my head down and run in and out of the office and hope Nobody notices I'm still doing my job. It's working really well so far. Um, and that's who I am, sorry. Tēnā koutou katoa, ko Simon Day, takawingawa. I am the Commercial Editorial Director at Daylight Creative, which is a name you probably weren't expecting to hear, but represents a really exciting moment for the spin-off where we have launched um, a brand new sister uh, creative studio. It sort of represents um, a really exciting evolution of uh, what's happened to us over the last 12 months, the biggest piece being um, grabbing the World Health Organization as our largest client. Um, but my job is to work really closely with all our, all our clients to help tell their stories. Um, we believe that stories are the best way to reach people, to change their minds, to make them feel something about what you're um, offering. And that's what I'll talk to you guys today about is that idea of, <clears throat> excuse me, paid editorial, where it fits into the space and know what that represents for um, your industry and, and getting people to think about your films and feel something about them. Carmen, I might just start with you and... Um, but I'm the least interested. No, you're not. No, you're people. not. So Carmen led... Are you, uh, hands up if you are familiar with uh, Stuff's apology to Matu Pono. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you are aware of it. Maybe do you want to um, tell us your role within that and also maybe what what I think what we're interested in because the, the corridor today is about connecting the content to the audience and so what I'm particularly interested in is how that impacted the audience for stuff. Actually one of the questions I'm interested in is there was an acknowledgement that there was racist content that stuff had put out over the history of the, the company through its publications. Was the Apology Project was part of the, the, the 
realisation for the necessity of it around the, the changing audience for stuff because you can talk... If you you can have racist content if you don't think the people you're being you're talking about are your audience. So that's kind of the question that I'm putting to you is has the perception of the of stuff's audience changed? Was that part of the reason for that project? Yeah, so um Taumato Pono is a project, but the strategy is Potiaki. Mm. So it came from a strategy to start better representing all New Zealanders. It became very, it's, I've been in journalism since 2001. Um, in that time, I personally experienced racism in the newsrooms uh, and seen the stories and how we've represented Māori, Pacifica and other minority communities throughout um, Aotearoa. So those things have hurt over time, you know, death by a thousand cuts. So um, I've also worked with Lisa. We worked together at um, TVNZ and the Māori and Pacifica Department, uh, which got um, <laughs> booted out of TVNZ, right? So uh, because they just didn't care about us anymore, so they felt that uh, it was time for us to leave. And so we did, but um, it did create some opportunities. So, uh, so it's basically 20 years of having to deal with that rubbish. <laughs> personally, having to be in the industry because I love journalism, right? So uh, because I love storytelling, you guys are all here because you represent storytellers. So that's why I'm here, to help you understand we're changing, right? So uh, the news media can no longer represent Pākehā New Zealand. And that is what the problem has been for 160-odd for years. That's what we discovered when we investigated stuff in all its papers, that for over 160 years we'd had a very monocultural perspective on news, simply because the media is a, a construct, it's come from Britain. So when it came on the ships from Britain, it was set up to um, support uh, settler voices, to support settler interest, particularly in land, during uh, colonisation uh, post the Treaty of Waitangi. Mm. So uh, Pōtiaki is the strategy. And what happened was I'd had enough. It was time to do something. I've, I'm an older person, experienced, and had a senior voice at stuff. And now it was time to step out and use it. Um, and using all of the um, leadership that had come before me, right? It's things that I keep reminding people is, uh, I'm just building on the work that others had already started, just like the young uh, publicists here today. You are building on the work that other people before you have done. So what we what we should always do, every generation, is try to make the path easier for others to come through. The older ones here who have been doing this work, not looking at you, Sue, uh, the older ones that have been here <laughs> doing this work for some time, have been trying to open the pathways for you guys to come through and start to uh, better represent all New Zealanders, right? So this is all it was about. So we needed to understand what we'd done to know what we would do to fix it, what it would um, mean for us in the future, right? So you can't know who you are, where you're going, without knowing what you've done in the past and what has happened in the past. So. Um, it's fair to say journalism is supposed to reflect society. It's also supposed to help society not be better, although that is our mantra, right, so, um, but that is what journalism is, right? Storytelling is to uh, help New Zealand be better. So um, that's the work we've done. So Pōtiaki is the strategy, and out of it came this investigation of stuff. We did not know we were going to apologise until we knew what we'd done. When it became clear what we'd done, we knew that our only course of action was to go big, be honest, tell the truth about what we've done, and then make try and make amends for that. Um, we did reach out to Iwi before we made the apology. We did let them know that what we'd what we were doing prior, so some didn't know about the investigation, some didn't know were asked to be involved, they did not want to be involved. Our audience at Stuff has mainly been uh, Pākehā New Zealand, um, and every other minority community is underrepresented uh, um, 
uh, according to population, right? So it doesn't match. Mm -hmm. That's that's we know that. So uh, so that was uh, that's what we did, and I think it's really important work. Uh, like I explained to my workmates and our executive, New Zealand is made up of many different experiences, many different ethnicities, many different cultural communities. Where are their stories? Where are their voices? We need to do better. And that's all that work was about. And now we're uh, trying to encourage all media to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard work, right? So not everyone loved what we did. We did lose subscriptions, newspaper subscriptions, but we also had our largest donations ever was on that day, on the, the day of the apology. So... Um, we had people walk into our newsrooms to um, do mahi-mahi to our newsrooms. To, uh, and we didn't report on that because those were private moments between our people. So it feels like a natural... I, I, I'm going to go to Lisa, but mainly because that, felt, that feels like a, a dismantling of racist structures from within an organisation that's been around for a long time. And Lisa, you, the coconut kind of came... It's a it's a different it, it's a it's its own entity that sprang up. Can you talk a little bit about the the motivation for there it are and great also the audience? And thank you for that amazing Talanoa about the context behind that, Carmen. Because mm. um, yeah, like, as you say, me and Carmen used to work at TVNZ together, which was often an incredibly frustrating experience. This is before Ruben was born. If Ruben's here, it was a long time ago. Um, but but you know, it's interesting hearing the context behind the apology in, in that it was a wider 20-year experience that, you know, the thousand cuts led you to that moment rather than maybe, you know, people think it was this whole thing but it was something that just happened when you were at Stuff and, and you know, part of your job was to do the investigation. Um, and also, also, I just want to say thank you because you sort of became the public face of things that so many of us had experienced and wanted to say. And, and you know, and I know what it's like being the angry public face of something. And um, so, you know, it's our talk for that. And, and we had a lot of those shared experiences, one of which led me, well, not, not that it was necessarily an angry experience, but, but um, working in those structures that Carmen's talked about um, within an, an organisation like TVNZ was, was um, it, it, there were just different... KPIs and motivations with what we were making in terms of content and what was necessary to make for, for the organisation we worked for. So we made a programme called Fresh, which we still do, thank the Lord. Um, and we were really grateful to get that up because we'd pitched for like 15 years, I'd been pitching um, a, a Pacific youth show because um, Pacific people, are, uh, I think, what's the stat now? It's like 70% of us are under the age of, of 25. We're a fast-growing youth population, one of the fastest-growing in the country. So, you know, we needed a show. So we had this show fresh. It was amazing, fantastic to get it up. We got 16 eps after, you know, all this all this time pitching. We were so grateful. But then there was no resource in the organisation at all to put any discoverability around it. It's right, you've got the show. Here it is. Fantastic. Um, make your own promos if you want a promo. Um, you know, to, to sort of do it all yourself, which was frustrating at the time because we were on at a very wasteland time slot. It was 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning where every Pacific child is playing sport. But... Um, <laughs> But, I mean, we, it was just so awesome that, that we managed to get it up because that's an incredible feat in itself um, with, with network programming. So um, the, the, I'm going to say the, the um, silver lining with the do-it-yourself, make-it-yourself, and the fact that we were so under the radar is just we just went, right, we'll do it ourselves. And we ran off and we, and we cut up. I think we were the and only program. Well. Yeah, and because we were so under the radar, I don't think everyone ever looked at our promos um, <laughs> or, you know, and so we... We nabbed some promo time, which was the most important thing, and we just made... We, I think we were the only programme in TVNZ who ran around every single week shooting and cutting our own promos to get them on air, to get people to find it. Um, but it's the thing about discoverability, which is the wider um, Talanoa today, and how we managed to get eyes on fresh and then create the coconut. It's the whole thing about... Um, no, absolutely knowing who your audience is and being part of that audience yourself. So we had this awesome team of young kids and it was just like, what would you watch? Okay, make it. 
Um, you know, and, and, and it's, that, it's that integration. It's got to be a whole integration within those communities, you know. And um, so that's what we did with Fresh, and we managed to get lots of eyes on Fresh, and it became very, very popular, still popular. Um, and but, but because of the time slot and because it was, um, the, you know, it was really hard Actually, it wasn't back then because we, we rated really well. Um, but we wanted to get... There was only a certain type of content you could get under 22 minutes um, of tally. And so we really, really wanted to make wider content for the community we could see was there. So we started making the Coconut TV and pitched it to New Zealand on air. And it was a wonderful timing synergy. And I'll always give massive props to Brenda and the team at TVNZ because this was way before the whole digital leap happened. Um, it was 2013, and it was a real punt to take, and because um, it was a great kick up, uh, kickstart fund that came up. Everyone was pitching web series, and and you know all these awesome ideas for all these things. And we, we had a web series, we had a musical, a Pacific musical, um, but we were thinking, God, it's not. We need something that's going to last more than six playouts. We've got to make the most of this opportunity. Um, and so we came up with the idea of a portal and, and the CocoNet and a way to connect our audiences in our own time outside of the 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. Um, and thank God it worked. And um, we made a whole lot of different content because we weren't sure what was going to stick. We thought the comedy would be the thing that would stick. But amazingly, it wasn't. It was actually all the heritage content, like all the cultural stuff. So that was amazing to us and it still is. And it's it's um, because this audience is so thirsty because there's nothing in the world. There's no other resource. It's that thing when you have something and it's a supply and demand thing and it's the only thing in the whole world and then everyone comes to it. Discoverability, how we got people to watch it. We had this awesome awesome young creative who was our intern who used to, because we were in the basement of TVNZ, we had no water, it was illegal. Um, and so we had to get someone every hour to um, take the water jug up three flights of stairs to get water, no kidding. And never, we used to have the best parties. Um, and, um, they did, they really and, did. And, um, and bring the water jug down. So that was Mario Famui, who was, <laughs> who was hired as our intern with his water jug. And he's now all these years later, the creative director of Fresh. Um, but those kids were amazing because when we were trying to get ways of pe how are people going to find this, what are we going to do? So we had our marketing plan on paper, but then we were thinking, we've just got to, we, we can't say this on paper because it sounds really random and stupid. Um, but Mario was going, uh, he's the New Zealand um, president of the Bayhive chapter, and which is, so Bayhive around the world is Beyonce's fan hubs around the world. And these people, they are fierce with owning that stuff. You do not mess with them. They've catched hashtag is Bay Don't Play. And um, so they, and they are just, and Beyonce was coming to New Zealand. <laughs> and so Mario, we created a Facebook page, um, you know, with coconut content, what we were going to do. And he just put Beyonce, Beyonce, Beyonce. <laughs> um, this was, you know, um, in 2013. Send us in all your best Beyonce moves and we'll give you tickets, to VIP tickets to go and see the Queen. And he just did Beyonce hard out posting for Pacific people to send in their content nearly every day. And it just went nuts, um, randomly nuts, because it was, and, and, and then we got content as well, because all these kids from around the world sent us in their best Beyonce moves. Um, and so it was a really random, and I was just thinking how funny it was that that was our first blip. And I've had people, marketing people, and like Anna Dean going, how did you get people to connect, like in the first week? And it was really as random as Beyonce, Beyonce, Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our great scientific, uh, really ethical, um, connected way of, yeah. So that's the story. Thank you. I'm going to um, flip but it's, to... It's about innovation, right? Yeah, and yeah. So what Lisa's trying to explain is that innovation, don't, just because someone says no to you or, or doesn't want to do it your way, be innovative because that's that's what Lisa and her crew uh, represent in the industry is innovation. And that portal that she's talking about, just blase putting it out there, was real. Like that's you, that was the first one, wasn't it? The portal that you made. So yeah, I love how you underplay your work that you do, <laughs> but it really is. So innovation, and that's what I love about her team is their innovation, and that's what I always try to encourage people: be innovative with the way you do your publicity. Sorry. No, that's, it's excellent because it brings me to a segue, which is the spin-off. Um, 
and which oh, it started as a TV site, right? And now is multi covers. It's a it's broad scope magazine content, Everything. An, an online magazine that wanted to be a different voice, giving space to different voices uh, on New Zealand, unashamedly parochial. Yep. Um, it was it was born out of the idea that you know there were a bunch of us who had worked in the media for a long time and um, just saw like Carmen has that it was just run and dominated by white men um, and there were so many better people to explain to us what New Zealand is and what New Zealand could be um, and it started and I, this ties into innovation again it started out of um, uh, this idea that uh, online advertising wasn't really working and it was launched in partnership with Lightbox um, because all the TV writers had started to be, TV and culture writers had be started to be cut from uh, mainstream news sites and Duncan Grieve, the founder, loved TV and also realised there's not much else that we all do together at the same time every single day and TV says a lot about us, whether it's Art and Matilda or whether it's Campbell Live getting cancelled. There's so much you can learn about who you are from what you're watching and, you know, the film says the same thing. Um, we realised very quickly after a year that there was a huge demand for this um, different type of voice on New Zealand and, you know, from that point we've grown, grown and grown and grown. And... How, what, I don't know this, you may not know the answer immediately off the top of your head. How much, what's the kind of, how important is TV and entertainment content to the spin-offs so it, it, world right now? It, it remains a really important part of, you know, our DNA. Yep. Um, it's where, you know, people like Alex Casey, who I think is one of the most important um, feminist voices in New Zealand, found her uh, voice. Um, and it and, and like I said, it still says so much about who we are. It is now, you know, only only a portion of, of our coverage, but it's still a really, really important one. Awesome. I'm going to switch tack a little bit and hit up Kate for... Um, I've been hit on for ages, so I know. thank you. That's all right. Um, as New Zealand's only broadcast entertainment reporter... It's dire. Really? I mean, not that Kate's just great, but it's like, why are there not more? Anyway, uh, what, what for you makes a, a good yarn? What do you look for when you're, when you're getting pitched a story? Um, Matt, you're so right. What a piece of bullshit, eh? The only broadcast um, film critic and entertainment reporter full-time. Uh, and I feel unbelievably... Yeah, it's bollocks. Terrible. It's bollocks. Um, I come from a great history of white privilege, as you can see. And the joyous thing about that white privilege is you don't know that you're privileged. Uh, and I think particularly um, in the last five years... I mean, Carmen, we worked together, yeah. I don't know how long ago. And I just yeah. craft my ship and I plough it through. I have a sense of inadequacy and have done for quite some time. Um, I will get um, to answer your story in a minute, but in the context of this panel, um, I get that sense so much more that because I haven't lived and breathed anything other than my pakeanas, um, I'm not the person that can give justice to the stories that need to be told. And a classic example of that was Cousins, which was such an outstanding piece of filmmaking. Uh, and going down to Rotuiti uh, and, and being a part of what was an extraordinary premiere on the Marae there, um, I have never felt so inadequate in my life. I wanted somebody who, ha who lived and breathed, who was Māori, to have my position uh, to be able to tell that story better than I did. And I'm, as far as I'm concerned, one of the better film-telling storytellers that there is in the media. I was proud of that story and I felt so inadequate when I watched it go to air and I felt more inadequate being there on that marae. I was welcomed, I did the best that I could, but I wasn't good enough. Um, and that needs to change. And the way that it needs to change is to change the construct with which we work in. And, I mean, I'm working for, you know, boring mainstream television. That's what I do, and I've done it my whole um, career, and I love it. Uh, but the time has come to change it. What makes a great story, uh, I don't think fundamentally has changed in terms of what you guys need to pitch to the likes of us. Um, we still want a great story. Uh, and one of the awesome things that I've found with COVID, and after so long uh, in the industry, and a lot of you guys here, that give me the likes of Meryl and Brad and Keanu. 
and Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp, um, is that we have better stories to tell. I work for a mainstream audience. They are going to, if I promo the hell out of Ryan Reynolds through the show, we'll stick around to see that story. Um, but we need to tell our own stories and make them as promoable. Uh, and one of the bonuses about COVID is I'm not on a plane the entire time and I'm 100% here for our stories because the other major plus with our films and our stories is nobody else has got them. You talked about all those international, um, when you did your very extensive research, um, that we're getting overseas stories. They will wait for our stories and they will go out there. And it's my responsibility and all our uh, responsibilities to get those stories, mm. whether they have connectivity here uh, with New Zealand audiences, so many of them, and not just the Taika stories either, um, that go beyond our borders. So um, that's been very important to me, particularly over the last couple of years. But to get a great story for me, I'm in tally, it's just all about the pictures, babes. It's all about the pictures. Uh, one of the best stories I've done in the last little while uh, was a set visit I did about three two years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, Courts, for Shadow in the Cloud. Now, if I'm given free crack cocaine is nothing on a set visit. I absolutely <laughs> love visiting the coalface of making a film. I absolutely love it. Um, so I will go on the set. You may get a story out of it, or I might just go on the set for the day. Uh, if you give me the ability to wander around, as long as I don't piss anybody off, I don't have to film everything, and that brings me to my next uh, little rave, which will be about giving me B-roll, and when you're on set thinking about the pictures that I might like from your EPK people. Um, but if you let me wander around and shoot stuff with my camera person, even if you provide one for me, it makes the best television. I'm not sure if you saw the story. Um, there's interviews, which is great, but actually going into um, what will be the turret in Shadow in the Cloud, which I can also match up against a piece of B-roll from the film and talk to Chloe about that. I'm sorry, that's, that's my day in heaven. Uh, and it's a great story. And in fact, I only get two and a half minutes, maybe two minutes to tell these stories and it's heartbreaking. I call it killing babies when I have to kill shots out of my stories uh, because I'd rather have a seven minute one. But they are about that long, which sounds super short and it might not seem like much, but two and a half minutes of telly when you pay, what, 30 grand for a 30 second ad during prime time is a metric truck ton of, of, of coverage. So um, pictures are everything, but also great interview talent is everything. Uh, as I finish, it is EPK, Electronic Press kit materials, if you have the budget or it doesn't even, it just has to be broadcast quality shot footage of a film being made. It's the iconic clapperboard, it's people doing cool stuff, uh, it's showing me stuff that I can then even match to a trailer. Uh, it just makes for really, really cracking television. Uh, so if you do have the budget, um, I'm going to back some B-roll. Did I answer that question? Yes, you did. Thank Probably you very too much. Eh? No, no, yeah, that's great. So... That that's a, it's too that was sort of I can summarise access and yeah. Yeah. supplied content. When I say so, I, I'd rather shoot it myself. I know how much directors hate another camera being on yeah. set. I know that, which is why I never got set visits for so long because they just let print um, on because you don't get in the way quite so much. I would rather shoot it all myself, but I know how hard it is even just getting a camera on um, with me to kind of lurk around. So respect your director and the filmmaker. I have a huge amount of respect for the fact that they're not here to entertain me. They're on a short sharp, very stressful curve towards a heart attack. Uh, and I want to avoid stressing them out more by being on set. Uh, promoing their film and they're shooting it, I'd suspect, I don't know, courts, everybody, it's the last thing they give a flying toss about, yeah? So even getting access to talent is hard. I had to wait around for about 13 hours for ScarJo to give me four minutes. Yeah. Um, and they were terrible four minutes. And I had to, in the end, because it was 10 o'clock at night, uh, there were six reporters, including Australians, and they don't like to share. And in the end, I had to have a question given to me by each of my fellow reporters, and I had to ask it on their behalf. Can you imagine how awkward that was? It was really nasty. Uh, but that's fine. I still got a great story out of it. I'm not supposed to have a good time necessarily on set. I just, getting the access, that was a story to illustrate how hard it is to get access. She's got a job to do. That uh, idea of... Uh, access to video content. I, I just want to throw that because I know that for stuff, uh, video is getting it's increased in importance in terms of you guys being able to shoot your own video or having video supplied. Are you? Uh, yes, video is now number one on our list. So if you give us video, we will try to use it. 
There you go. Hot tip. That just happened this week. Like, it, it's always been there. Like, they've changed our photographers into video journalists now. Um, but this week, the push again, because Carol Hirschfeld is head of uh, video content. Um, and this week, we've had that push again. Uh, the stories that will get the most homepage time is the ones that get uh, that have videos. Mm -hmm. If okay. you don't have videos on your stories, that's for the journalists, then they don't get as much homepage love. Yeah. Videos are important to us. Awesome. Um, the other, one of the, the questions that sometimes as publicists we get asked by producers is uh, why do we need the media? Can't we just do it on our, so, on our own socials? What I'm interested in is how you might respond to that. I'm, I'm going to throw that to Simon. But, but more so, how does social, what, what role does social media play in amplifying the spin-offs content um, why why you need us um, in particular spin-off is because we have a you know from, we know from surveying our audience uh, a very educated very engaged um, you know high earning um, sort of fancy boutique audience who's more likely to go to um, the academy than your average New Zealander uh, and we speak to them. We have a really special relationship with them. We have this bond with them that's really, really strong, that's unique, I think, um, in the media because I, I've worked in places where, um, you know, the, it was like a love-hate relationship with the audience. People came to you for information and often left feeling a, a little bit dirty. I remember the story um, that I wrote that got the most clicks of all time was about Jamie Ridge getting her car keyed while she was in Wellington for her birthday. Um, so it's a different relationship we now have with the stories that we write um, at the spin-off. Uh, but social media still plays a huge um, role in, in us reaching them. Uh, I'm very jealous of Carmen not having to use Facebook. Uh, and Instagram. And Instagram, obviously owned by the same uh, company. Um, <laughs> but that's still, you know, we, we, we don't have that um, critical mass where... You know, people use us every day uh, in the same way that they use stuff. They find, although it's, you know, the, the homepage now is, um, over the last sort of two years, has become the most viewed um, page on the site. So mm. it's, it's really exciting to know that people are using us in that way. Mm. But we still reach a huge number of people via um, Facebook, Instagram, increasingly LinkedIn and, and Twitter. I'm going to ask a question of Lisa, which is for content creators and publicists, if they are making something and they think that it could be a fit for Fresh or the Coconut Portal, what's that? What? How does that happen? What does that look oh, like? Easy. We we are constantly hunting for content, and it's really good to. And we love promoing, you know, all, all the new raft of Moana filmmaking that's coming through, and and web series, you know, all, all that kind of content. I was just talking to Louise about it. Um, so we have, I mean, all our contact details are on the site. Um, but for, you know, and it's amazing seeing so many Moana faces here as well. Um, and we're, you know, this is a byproduct of all the new diversity funding strands, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I look at um, Fallon, who's here for SIS, and, and all those new projects. And so um, we, we're really keen to, to promo stuff. The contact number's just, uh, the, the email address is there. It's but Penina's like, oh, my God, everyone's going to email me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, no, it's a really easy access point. We're really keen for content to, um, you know, either play through the site or to promote. So, I mean, it's that, it's that simple. Um, the thing around social media for us, it's not, is social media important? It's which platform? And it, because um, things change so rapidly, mm. currently TikTok. So, you know, with, with Fresh. And, and it's, it's, keeping, it's keeping a track of the audiences and which aggregator is pushing more people through. Um, yeah, interesting. I love TikTok. <laughs> so good. I'm trying to figure out how to do a TikTok news program. Potiaki on TikTok. Yeah. Potiaki, something. I don't know. Um, one question for you, Carmen, is how? What is the intersection? You know, there's a vertical on stuff, which is your your vertical yep. of of Potiaki, and then there's the entertainment vertical or the lifestyle vertical. How? What is the intersection of those? Editorial verticals. So, for again, for content producers or publicists that that might be pitching entertainment stories that has crossover, how does that work? 
Yeah, we just um, we tag. So every story gets a tag. So there's heaps of sections on stuff, and we just tag each story to a section. And so you will find them in all sections, including the homepage. So depending on what the st homepage stories, what do they look like? They're pretty hard news stories uh, in the top section of the homepage. Um, but we did create Poitiaki to showcase uh, minority communities on purpose. Um, but the idea is that um, minority communities will be represented in every story, everywhere on um, stuff, um, as well, so content as well as voices. So whether you're just talking about health in general, we expect that you will have uh, a Pacifica voice or a Māori voice or someone from the disabilities community or a rainbow community, whatever, we all have a voice to have. Because usually we just go to Pākehā, we just go to experts. We're trying to get that out of, stop that. We've got to stop that because it's not representative of New Zealand. Um, yeah, so it goes every, they go everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. Um, don't limit who you, who you put, uh, you send your emails to or contact because I get a lot of stuff and if, uh, then we send it out to as many people as we can. So, uh, so it goes to different sections, mm. not always just the one, because that way you've you got more chance of getting pick-up. Yep. That's yep. a hot tip. Yeah. And there's a big push um, by the Dominion Post to do more art. So that's their big focus now with the mm. new editor, Anna Fifield. She is pushing for that, um, and it makes sense, right, because the Evening Post, some of you weren't even born when the Evening Post was around, so uh, it was really heavily arts-focused, right? So everything art was in the Evening Post. Uh, she's bringing that back because it makes sense. Um, so now... Um, so now you've got at least one major paper that will do arts and culture, and that includes... It um, does include film, like, uh, film and TV stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely, it. yeah, 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 absolutely, film and television, yeah. Um, but we've got a huge, well, to be honest, we did lose some of our life and style people, which meant that that number was cut down. But I can tell you, life and style is becoming a very big ticket at stuff, and there is a huge, huge effort in that space. Watch carefully because there's something very exciting coming soon um, that I think you guys should all be aware of and also, you know, really start to make connections. So, um, and so Sue and I met. Her and I have been talking for years and years. We finally got a face-to-face. -face. Um, and then when one, if you come and talk to us, journalists, it actually helps. Say, hey, Kate, so you guys all know that face-to-face -face relationships actually work better for you mm -hmm. than just emailing us, right? It's not going to work if you just do cold emails. No. We love a free lunch, just saying. I'm partial just to kidding. cake. <laughs> <laughs> Bribery does work. It does, man. Um, don't tell the journalists. <laughs> Just as a, this is sort of a final provocation before we throw to uh, our, any questions that the, um, this group might have. Um, this is a question from me. There's a, in, in the last couple of years, I'm looking at New Zealand on air, there's a local democracy fund that has been created, um, which was to, to fund local democracy reporting. I'm interested, and I'm going to throw this initially to Simon because you're Mr. Commercial on this panel. Uh, if there was a fund that was created, I'm eyeballing New Zealand on air now. If there was a fund that was created to uh, for local entertainment coverage, imagine what would that look like on the spin-off? We'd make a magazine and we'd make a podcast. I think I'm a very nostalgic tactile person, and I've loved uh, seeing the rise of the magazines out of the ashes of COVID and the disintegration of Bauer. Um, I think what we've seen is the way that a lot of those magazines have um, given a voice to really diverse uh, writers and to audiences. And I think um, that's where a, a film and entertainment magazine would do really, really well. Um, and I love the Empire Film Podcast, and I hate that no um, New Zealand films are ever covered on it. So it would be, 
it'd be really, really great. And I think so much fun to, to do something like that. Yeah, yeah, I have an opinion on that. Um, many, many years ago, again before you were born, there was a really nifty little show called Real Late with Kate. None of you will remember it. R-E-E-L. I mean, isn't that amazing, that little play on words? Um, it was my idea. I think it's awesome. Uh, we had that fully production funded uh, and we made it ourselves on a very tight little budget on TV3. And again, it started at a very off-peak time, um, but then we got pushed a bit into prime time as well. And we pitched quite a bit for um, New Zealand On Air funding for that. Uh, I think the aspect of it was quite commercial. Uh, it may have been um, the reason to turn it down and that they thought we could production fund it ourselves. And we did. Uh, and we were happy with that. But we had such a huge amount of local content. We had filmmakers come in and review. Um, I had all of my local stuff and content on that. We could have had so much more uh, than that. Uh, and we also would have had some longevity because we ended up only lasting a year because we were so burnt out having to do it. Um, I couldn't agree more with Simon. I think that we need some film and television permanent coverage. It doesn't have to be on a network show. I love the idea of a proper podcast. Uh, we have a, a very small but um, rapidly growing podcast part of, of News Hub and we've been very lucky to get some funding for that because it's literally run by people who do it in their, their spare time. Um, I think we have an audience in New Zealand uh, who are so committed to, to the film discussion that they're just sitting there waiting for something uh, that's predominantly, and I would even go as much as 70% of local content uh, as well as everything else, and I think there's a big opportunity. I like the idea of that NZ On Air vertical funding situation, um, and I'd like to see what you would do with it. Maybe you could uh, contribute. There could be some kind of... Maybe this is the start of a beautiful thing. A collaboration. I like that idea too, and I've put it down on my list for things, for stuff to do. There we go. That's Whoa. what we want. Um, I've just been told we've got a little bit more time for this session, and I was going to save these for After Dark, but I've got... This is like reading telegrams at a wedding. I've got some anonymous emails from editors, and I, I asked them... I'm, I'm going to ask the panel to weigh in, but I thought I'll start with uh, a couple of of editors who aren't here. I just asked um, what they thought publicists in New Zealand did well and what they could do better and what really pissed them off. Uh, so this is somebody who shall remain nameless. You can bribe me later if you want to know their name. Um, the generic here's a TV show slash film and you should write about it being on TV or being filmed or starring these people that no one has ever heard of isn't going to get any cut through. We are obviously trying to broaden the types of things we write about and want to reflect New Zealand's diversity in our stories, so don't be afraid to tell us about this sort of thing. I'm happy for the panel to, to, to like, shout out a preach or something if you agree. I kind of disagree. I kind of... We, we talked about it in the newsroom before I came. We think the film and entertainment industry publicists are the best mm. industry that um, we've got. They're, they're more yeah. thoughtful about the way no they bullshit. pitch stories. No bullshit. There is no, like, goodie bag of bullshit arriving um, with We don't a, have that. There's no budget for the goodie bag. It doesn't work anyway. Like, don't um, send us shit. Just send us a really good story and some B-roll. Yeah. Um, and, and thinking about what Kate talked about, B-roll, as, um, as a magazine, as an online magazine, we're looking for the same thing but in a different way. Um, it's about maybe having someone from the film write about it if they can. We had, I can't remember if it was Patricia or Briar, write about Cousins, and that was really powerful having... Um, it come from that voice. Yeah. Um, Hippie wrote about uh, his film about yeah. his mum. Um, that's a real powerful option, especially if you know there's someone um, within the film that can, can do that. Uh, because we, we're we really little still and everyone is basically at 120% capacity all the time. So unless you have a, like a really strong pitch, we kind of don't have time to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's... The fact that you are getting cut through, I think, is testimony to how good you guys are at your job. Agreed. And when you talk about the no bullshit aspect of it, I think it, it helps if you know how the other person works. So the people that I work in, with and have done for many, many years, I mean, we've been pissed a lot. Um, so we, we go back a long time. Um, you guys know uh, what I want. I'm not saying, you, yeah, true story. What did you just say? <laughs> um, it's, it's basically... 
telling me what you've got. You don't need to tell me why I care because I'll tell you why I care. Uh, but have an acknowledgement of what it will look like through the lens of a camera. Uh, I don't have any deputies anymore at News Hub. We have been sliced and diced, I think, ever since the Weldon days with that wonderful entertainment uh, website, Scout, was launched uh, at the same time that our News Hub entertainment had been launched with great fanfare and was we had so many followers to the brand and it literally got switched off overnight for Daniel Rutledge and I and we had to start again from scratch. Um, so I literally do everything. Similar situation to yours. There's only so much time, so it's factoring that in. It's also being really honest about who you're pitching to. I don't want to be told um, that I'm getting exclusive access to such and such, uh, only to see it pop up on Seven Sharp the night before I'm going to air. All I want is absolute total honesty and clarity, and I am 100% fine. I also don't want your exclusive. Uh, I want you to be able to publicise your content across every single portal of New Zealand media that you can get your mitts on. That's what I want for your film. I want to be able to use my own unique voice to tell whatever story I can that's part of your content, but please don't ever think um, that I want something exclusively. I just want you to be honest about so that I don't have to get wrapped over the knuckles by my producers because it pops up on um, the Death Star the night before. Sorry, TVNZ the night before. I'm, I'm going to throw that, that question to Carmen as well, just in terms of stuff um, and the exclusive question, um, If how, how important are exclusives to stuff? Well, not for this sort of, well, like for this work, no, but if we're in an investigation, obviously it's it's got to be an exclusive, but... I'm with Kate on this. Every like well, you've got to put it everywhere. If we all understand that, um, but don't tell Kate one thing and then come mm. and tell us the same thing. And don't say Kate or to Kate to then tell us, oh, I'm going to talk to this person about this. Don't then use that as your line to hook us in. <laughs> that is really bad. And if we find out, we get really pissed off because you've just gone and take stolen her story. So it's that kind of thing that we don't we don't like at all. Um, but we're not going to say, oh, no. Well, some might, but not, nah. I, don't, I would have not for when there's a film that's going out on this day and everyone's going to see it on that day anyway, so why would it be an exclusive, mm. right? So, But what could be the exclusive is who you put it up to each media. Mm. That's where you can get different. So put different people up onto CocoNet, for instance, if you've got uh, someone that Lisa would be interested in and that would have a voice on her CocoNet and would be able to talk to her audience, then say, hey, we've got this um, we've got this young person who's in this movie, would you be interested? And then just make sure that you look after that relationship and that story there. Um, and then for us... I know we've got that many different people, but mm. I do like the idea of a New Zealand-focused movie and television person reporter. That sounds like an at-risk job right there that requires some funding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that just sounds good. Because I, agree. I was thinking about coronavirus, right, and I was like, how, how could we... I thought we are getting better at loving our stories because we're getting better at loving our musicians, right? So all the New Zealand music at the moment is going crazy. We love them. So I was thinking, is it growing for our TV and movie as well? Like, are we starting to, are we growing up? Is New Zealand growing up to, to enjoy our own voices and our own stories? Or are we not yet there yet? Are we better than we were 20 years ago? As an audience, I'm talking about. I think you know? the audience is definitely yeah. more accepting of yeah. the, of, yeah. I think that's, yeah, it's the connecting to the audience. It's amplifying the content, right? Yeah. Amy. I, I just want to say, like, everyone is aware, aren't they, that there is now a new public interest journalism fund. So, like, yes. this is so, the moment so then to be can building I, the evidence base for Can I um, throw the question back to you yeah. and say, does, does entertainment mm. d come under the public entertainment, uh, public interest fund and, and, what would the prerequisites be? So, um, short answer, yes, it does. Um, in the, they're quite detailed, the guidelines are up on the website at the moment. You'll see we've tried to sort of broadly define public interest journalism and, and in a way you can't, there's so many different meanings of that in certain contexts, but we've tried to say, as per what the government is seeking and what the cabinet paper says, it's about acknowledging what is at-risk journalism, at-risk or missing. So I think historically, 
presumably there was not the subsidy required for the arts and entertainment coverage because by and large that would have been happening more or less without the requirement for subsidy. That's clearly not the case anymore and there's clearly stats and spreadsheets that can kind of point to that. So the short answer is yes, it is It is within the current definition of that. But, but with every single application that's going to come in, the case will have to be made as to why it's at risk. So that's the provocation is make sure that's a Loctite case that says this journalism isn't happening, yeah. it does need that subsidy in order to survive and then put your best foot forward. Mm. Can I just make a further point to that? Just trying to bolster the case here. <laughs> um, that um, it's really important that we understand um, what, the, um, what the cultural deficit is by not having this. Mm. Yeah, so... Yeah. That's the other point. I, I was just going to make that point as well because I think um, part of this conversation around the need to have more support for entertainment and, and this, I, it, I mean, it, what's happened as an incredible creative, well, part of our creative capital in New Zealand is that so many of our films have been made by Māori and Pacific people in the last five years. I think it's all exploded. And and so that deficit we really see there. Um, and so, you know, in terms of rotaki and, um, and diversity kind of capacity around, I mean, we don't even have the privilege of, of thinking about kind of film and entertainment people with the coconut. We're just like, trying to survive getting story, any stories up because there's no capacity. So that's wonderful to know. Any last burning question? Oh, yes. Jenry? You could boom from the back, can't you? For the recording. Um, my question's for Simon. So uh, talking about other ways of, kind of skinning the cat from, a, from an editorial perspective, the spin-off is a really important um, audience that I know a lot of projects that we all work on would love to be part of. If editorial is feeling like a challenge in terms of coming at it from, a, from an angles and a resourcing perspective, do you have any advice that you could give us around how we could be looking at trying to upsell the commercial aspect of the spin-off to the distributors and marketing companies that we're working with to try and ensure that that coverage does happen and that audience is reached? Are you asking what does it cost to get sponsored content on the spinner? No, I was more thinking about what it would what it would look like and where you guys could see the value you could offer so that we could try and be selling that up the chain, really. It's a really good question because we, we don't think of it as, as like buying um, editorial content. What it's about is creating a really smart integrated marketing campaign mm. but using storytelling as the soul of it. Um, you know, science shows you that storytelling uh, will affect the empathy side of your brain and the cognitive side of your brain. You're more likely to remember the name of the film and feel something about it if you hear a story. I don't think a bus back is going to do that. Um, so what you should do is demand from the people that you're working with in terms of the, the marketing team for budget to tell stories because that is, that's my job is to work with you to, um, to, to do great storytelling that... that hits the right notes um, for the film or for what you're working on, but for that then to cascade through in, in different ways. Um, one of the first ridiculous projects I did with the spin-off was for um, was in partnership with Hereditary, the, the horror film. We did a piece about um, how frights work and what that adrenaline is about and why being scared is horrible but also fun and exciting. And then I ran through our Instagram channel, um, Fright Club, where uh, a portion of the staff who was willing to sign up, with it, sign up for it for HR purposes um, <laughs> spent a week sort of hiding around corners. I got into recycling bins. I like went to meetings before other staff who were going there and asked the clients if I could hide in a cupboard. And we just filmed ourselves scaring the shit out of each other. But it was, it was part of a content campaign that was built into the stuff we ran on the site as well and explored something beyond you know, the, the people who were acting in the film. It was, it was a, a deeper um, insight into what makes horror fun and exciting. And that's just an example of how you can work with us in a paid way to create great stories that tell a deeper story about the film that you're working on. 
can I speak to that? I'm 100% agree. It's no longer, um, I have a Kiwi on the film, would you like to speak yeah. to the Kiwi anymore? We're, we're beyond that. And we talk about how our audience is. And like we, there is no cringe factor with New Zealand film, and I don't think there's any left with New Zealand music. I think, and it's not the Taika effect, I think we've been embracing our stories for a very long time, and so have our audiences. So it has to be uh, a story within a story that's going to have that connection and that reach, for me, on camera, obviously, but um, however that might be and however you might pitch it. Um, can I just add, too, because I can see the fabulous Brooke at the back of the room. Uh, we've um, bled together at a film festival uh, where Paul Brooke took five New Zealand reporters across to TIFF for Jojo Rabbit. Uh, this job is really hard work, okay? Publicity is hard work. There will be tears and you actually may physically bleed at some point, and that includes the men. Uh, it's one of those situations where you... It, is, it does sound fabulous and we're off to the Toronto Film Festival and we're staying in a fabulous youth hostel and it's going to be great. Um, it is really long hours and hard work and sometimes dragging reporters out of a bar at 3am so they make their slot the next morning. It's hard work. Uh, and I just wanted to say that. Thank you. One of, the, um, one of the things we've been talking about today is innovation and they're right about the stories. So if you learn who your people are that are doing, that are in the movie or in the program, find what their stories are and tell us and pitch it to us that way. So that's what they mean about be innovative, be clever. You jump out at people and put it on social media or um, and and tell us the things we didn't, we're not going to see on a press release. But you're like, hey, did you know that kid over there um, has come from this whānau doing this thing? And to get here has been quite the mission. That is, that's a heart and mind story, which is what yeah. Jasmine talked about. That is the story that will sell your program or sell your movie. I was, I was really interested in that. With I asked Ainsley and um, Rosanna about the so a thing about the the, the way communities can intersect with films as well, and the same thing because I think it's the wider lateral thing, especially with Moana people's storytelling. It's it's the place that it comes from as well, and um, that's a re really big point of interest to us. Like a film made in Savai. Is, is is hugely interesting because of where it's filmed. And I, when I was, saw Cousins, I was so interested in the in where it was and the places it was. And, and I think that's another component for um, for Pacific audiences as well, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things to sell, I reckon, eh? in a film or a story. Your just... soul. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I, I, I have to say, I went, I did go, like, one of the best things I've ever had in a, a, a film experience was going on A Wrinkle in Time at Pukaki. But what was awesome about being there was actually um, Auraki, because Auraki the manga doesn't show himself to everybody mm. all the time. So uh, on that day that we were with um, the crew, uh, he did. And so we said to Oprah, we're like, hey, you're really lucky because this guy does not show himself to just anyone. And we had this weird cultural teary moment between me, Aroha Awaro, who I'm sure you all know, and Oprah and her crew, just because we talked about the spiritual aspects, mm. our wairuatanga, of being by Apukaki and Auraki. And so that became part of our story as well, was the experience, and that's what Kate was talking about, the experience we had um, on the film set. Mm. Not just about, well, cool, I met Oprah. It was like, we had a cultural connection with Oprah. Mm. That was the difference. And then when we talked to um, Ava as well, we talked. We knew what she'd done with her documentary about um, justice for black, uh, black justice. And we knew, uh, being because we do a lot of Māori current affairs, and that's how we connected with her, was through that similar experience. And so we actually talked to her about that stuff mm. and how Disney has not represented minority communities very well in the past. And it was really good. And so that's how we were able to connect and tell those stories. It wasn't really about the film and stuff. It was actually about the people and the stories that we had with them. Awesome. Thank you. I think that's us for time. Um, really appreciate all of your wisdom. Thank you. The A to Z of Publicity Workshop podcasts are proudly supported by New Zealand On Air's Industry Development Fund, the US Embassy and Images and Sound. Music for the podcast was provided by Poddington Bear. 
Whakatauki by Lalena Faunati and voiceover by Gemma Gracewood. Kia ora.